Let's take our Bibles this morning. We come to the inerrant part of our gathering. As we look at Psalm 27 from the Old Testament, Psalm 27, and then we will go to the New Testament. We'll be reading through First uh, John, not all, of course, this morning. We'll look at the first ten verses of that first chapter. But let's begin in the Old Testament at Psalm 27, a psalm of David. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have an electronic device, you'd like to hop over to the ESV, you're welcome to do so. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assailed me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Now let's go to 1 John. We'll read the first chapter. First John, chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, 
Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, how thankful we are for your word. We thank you for the truth, truth that we can hear, truth if we have a Bible we can hold in our hands. Oh, Lord, keep us loyal to the truth. Help us do nothing that compromises the truth. Help us not back down. Help us not back up. Help us stand in a world of deceit and lies that hates your truth. Help us love it all the more and proclaim it all the more clearly. Father, I thank you so much for each person you brought here today. I pray that they will see and hear of the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray that they will be transformed by the grace that is found in him. Oh, Lord, we need you so desperately in this church. We are unashamed to say that we are desperate for you. We need you to pour out the Spirit of God in this place and bring conviction. And uh, we need you to humble us as we're going to talk about today. We need, Lord, the demonstration of your power because we are helpless. We are hopeless. We are powerless to do what needs to be done. Lord, you must Come and enable us and strengthen us. Hear our cry. Please, Lord, have mercy upon us and do it that Jesus might be praised and glorified and magnified in this place. And we pray, Lord, for a difference that we make in this community. Help us, Lord, hear our cry. We confess to you our sin and that our only hope is in the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, for our kids' time going forward in the next, I don't know, for the long foreseeable future, 
I'm going to be working with the kids on learning some questions and answers that are foundational questions and answers. And uh, we're, we'll be starting next Sunday with that. But I wanted to ask those of you who might have kids or grandkids and would be willing to jot down this question, and then in a minute we'll show the answer. And I would like to ask you to begin working with your kids or grandkids on getting this answer down. There are 20 foundation questions that I want them to know. And by the way, these are excellent questions for us to know how to answer as well. In fact, without revealing the answer, I wonder how many of us could give a biblical answer to this one. What is the chief purpose of humanity? Well, that's the question. If you want to take a photo of it with your phone, if you're going to get really tech technological on me, that'd be awesome. You can do that however you want to do it. But what is the chief purpose of humanity? If you'll go ahead and show the answer. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So if you will, uh, just... Uh, Jot those que that question and answer down, and we will look at it with our kids beginning next week. And hopefully they'll know it and be able to go ahead and call it off. All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, please now I pray that you will help me to preach. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to aim at no one except you. Lord, help me to proclaim the truth. Help me to make it clear as I should. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, do with your word what you will. You will accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Proverbs says that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand, to which I say that is very true. Uh, I had planned to begin an exposition of 1 Corinthians this morning, as I announced last week, but as the week wore on, I came to accept the reality that it was not the Lord's purpose. We had some family health complications. A friend from out of state uh, reached out to me in an emergency situation. There was a protracted meeting on Thursday that I was involved in. A particular commentary that I've been waiting for did not show up in my hands until the very last minute, and my library uh, is in disarray. My desk is covered over as I am trying to get moved in down there. Some of you have seen it. You understand. But I want to say thank you, Stan Sitton, for moving and mounting the shelves in my study, for getting me a new chair and helping me get a very large whiteboard up on my study wall. Uh, <laughs> Along with Marsha, Greg Embry, and Rocky, I think, had a hand in helping get all that, that, that chalkboard or whiteboard up. So thank you to all of you. You know, I say Stan wears a big red S 
on his chest, and it it doesn't stand for stand either. Thank you, brother. It's when I get it all situated, we'll have a tour. Okay, I'll let you see it down there. Uh, it's it's wonderful. So all this is to say, we will begin First Corinthians soon. Will you turn then to Matthew chapter 20 and the parable of the vineyard workers? Matthew 20 and the parable of the vineyard workers. This morning I aim to bring us face to face with a humbling truth for a rebuilding church. And then when I'm done, I'm going to do what we did last week. I'm going to ask those of you who might be willing to and who are able to join me down here at the front and we're going to gather in close where we can pray. I hope you're picking up on the fact that we are desperate here for the Lord to build back his church. There's not a pastor that's going to come along and do that. It's going to have to be the Lord that does it. Uh, I'm just a servant, and I'm an unworthy servant. Christ will build his church. And we're asking him, we're begging him to do that for us in this local assembly. So the parable of the vineyard workers, oh, it goes right to the heart of something that we need to grasp today, a, a humbling truth for a rebuilding church. Let's look at the Parable now, we'll just read it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house or a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. See the little word for that begins verse 1? That is a context signal that something's already underway as this chapter begins. This is an unfortunate chapter break here. Remember, these chapter numbers and verse numbers are not inspired. They're, they were not uh, written originally. They didn't appear in an English translation, in fact, until 1560 in the Geneva Bible, which was the predecessor of the King James that came along 51 years later in 1611. So it's unfortunate we have a chapter 20 starting here with the word for. We need to find out what's already underway as chapter 20 begins. So that means we're going to have to back all the way up to verse 16 of chapter 19. So let's back up to 1916 and get our context. Here we go. Matthew tells us, And behold, a man came up to him, to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So let's just stop right there for a moment. We've got a wealthy man, a young man, who approaches Jesus with a question. Jesus answers the man's question. The man doesn't like the answer, and so he walks. And then Jesus teaches his disciples this lesson about salvation. After which Peter asks Jesus a question for himself. And you'll notice that in verse 27 that Peter's question is like he doesn't even hear what Jesus teaches about salvation. 
The disciples ask in verse 25, who can be saved? And Jesus answers in verse 26 with, man, this is impossible, with, but with God all things are possible. To which Peter responds, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? It doesn't fit what Jesus is saying about salvation. And it doesn't fit because Peter is stuck back at verse 21. Lord, you mentioned back there treasure in heaven. If that rich guy left everything and followed you, well, he didn't, but we did. And so we left our nets, we left our tackle, we left all our gear, we left a couple of boats. That one boat had a brand new Mercury motor on it. James had a fairly new depth finder. And we left all of it. What kind of treasure in heaven are we going to get? Now, a question like that, if you know the Lord Jesus, you, you would typically say, you know, look out, incoming, here it comes. But look, verse 28, Jesus responds to them, responds matter-of-factly. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, literally in the regeneration, you say, what's that? Well, the next phrase explains what that is. Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, not his throne in heaven, but David's throne in Jerusalem, in the coming messianic kingdom, in the millennium and then on into eternity, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You twelve will be given a special governing role in the future kingdom at My second coming See that, for example, hold your place. Go back to Isaiah real quickly. Isaiah chapter 1. Look, listen to this prophecy. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 24. Isaiah 1 24. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges at, as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. There's also Daniel 7, 22. Won't look at that. But what Jesus is saying here is you 12 will have a, have a governing role in my future kingdom. And by the way, let me just say, note what Judas forfeited. Betraying the Lord Jesus and being replaced by Matthias. 
And then Jesus goes further now in Matthew 19:29, and he continues by saying, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Saying whatever loss anyone suffers on earth for my sake will be super abundantly recompensed in my kingdom in addition to that person's inheritance of eternal life. But then comes this warning in verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Careful, Peter. That your service to me isn't guided by selfish considerations like what am I going to get out of following you? Because in that case, many who are first will be last. And the last first of which now you see. The parable of the vineyard workers starting at chapter 20 is an illustration. That's what's going on with this parable. He's illustrating what he has just talked about in chapter 19. Ah, okay. All right. Now, let's look at it. For the kingdom of heaven, I'm at chapter 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven, God's reign over those who belong to Him in salvation that is one day going to be manifested in an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. The Jewish workday went from sunup to sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12-hour workday. And so this man who has this vineyard, he's obviously a wealthy man. He goes out. He's going to find workers, day workers, to work in his vineyard. So he's out there early. And verse 2 says, after agreeing with the laborers that he found for a denarius a day, that was a common workday wage, 12-hour wage. After agreeing, note that, with the laborers, For Daenerys, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, so if 6 a.m. is the first, third hour would be what? 9 a.m.? He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, "You, you go to the vineyard too, and whatever is right I'll give you. Now notice there, they they go, verse 5, they went, they go, no agreed upon amount. They just go trusting the landowner, his, his integrity, right? Whatever's right, I'll give you. Going out again about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., got that one. He did the same. And about the eleventh hour. Now, how many hours are there in a work day? Twelve, right? So the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing here all day? And they said to him, nobody hired us. 
We wanted work, but nobody hired us. And he said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, that would be 6 p.m., end of the 12-hour day, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last guys, and then work your way down to the first ones. And when those hired about the 11th hour who put in all of one hour's work came, look at this. They they got a a, a denarius, pay for a full day's work. When those hired first came, see, they saw this, and they went, cha-ching, you know, this is, this is going to be a payday to remember right here because he gave those guys who just worked one hour a full. Can you imagine? Let's run the math here. This is going to be a payday to remember. And each of them received a denarius. And when they got it, they began to grumble at the master of the house. They said, this is not fair. We want justice. We, we're out here in this scorching heat. We worked hard for you all day. And you've made those guys, those Johnny-come-latelys, you've made them equal with us. Actually, there was a, a spokesman who said that, right? But he replied to one of them, friend, uh, interesting Greek word here, friend. Um, it's it's not like on a friend, real friend to friend level. It's more like a buddy. If I was younger, I, I could bring myself to say bro, but I, I, I can't do that. But that's basically what it is. It's, you have an acquaintance, in this case a business acquaintance, Friend, I, I'm, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Uh, yes, sir, I did. Okay. Then take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Or am I not allowed to do with what's mine what I want to do? And so Jesus ends by saying the last will be first and the first last. Uh, This landowner distributes the wages like he does because he's gracious and generous and he's just. You see that? Nobody got injustice. So the last will be first and the first last. There's going to be some surprises, aren't there, when God orders his kingdom Constable comments, the point of the parable is that God will graciously do more for some of those who work for him than his justice demands. The disciples should therefore think in terms of grace, not in terms of getting what they think they deserve. Any reward is an act of God's grace. May I say to you, Christian, whether you've been sent to the master's vineyard late in your life or whether with just one hour of work left, as it were, or you've been sent there early, you've got six, ten, even twelve hours of work ahead of you in your life, work with all your might. you got one hour left, work 
with all the strength God will give you. You got six hours work, ten hours work. Don't mope, don't dally. And you latecomers, don't beat yourself up because the hour is late. Just work with all your heart because look how generous and kind and good the Master is. Then some Bible translations include at the end of verse 16, for many are called but few chosen. And that's because later Greek manuscripts contain these words. All the Greek manuscripts have them at Matthew 22:14, and we would treat them there. Which brings us now to this humbling truth for a rebuilding church. Here it is. God can do whatever He chooses with what belongs to Him. And what belongs to Him, turn to Psalm 24.1. In case there's any confusion, Psalm 24.1. And I've been talking a lot. Somebody read it for us. Big and loud. Psalm 24.1. Did, did you catch that? Greg, would you read it for us, brother, one more time? The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. So what belongs to the Lord? Everything. 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 Deuteronomy 10.14 Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. It's all God's. And He can do whatever He wants with what's His. Now, I told you this was a humbling truth. But isn't that what we're after here? You remember last year when we clarified our threefold purpose? Do you remember that? And we said our... Does anybody remember that? We said our threefold purpose. I'm just going to do the first one. It was to humble the pride of man, to preach and to teach the Word of God in such a way that the pride of man is confronted with the truth of God and is by the Spirit of God humbled to the dust. That's what we're aiming for. That's the first of our threefold purpose, to humble the pride of man. We're purposely... Aiming at humility, at the laying low of human pride and arrogance. All this culture drips with pride and arrogance. We give the finger to God's created order. Who do we think we are? And nothing lays low human pride and arrogance quite like the humbling truth, the very humbling truth that God has total freedom to do what He wishes with everything that belongs to Him. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not making this up. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. 
Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now, if that's not God's total freedom to do what He pleases, then I have to confess to you, I don't know what, I don't know what is. What a humbling truth. Rightly received. Listen how Jesus expresses it in the parable. Did you catch it at verse 14? I choose, you see that where He says, I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now, you can imply this parable in a number of ways, but its ultimate truth is the Master's will. And since the Master spoken of here represents God, and since God is good, And God is holy and righteous and generous and gracious and just. He will never wrong anyone with the freedom that is His. Do you see that? So we can receive this humbling truth gladly. It's in Scripture. It's black and white. There it is. Don't kick against it. Church, we need all the fullness of God. We can't be kicking against any truth in His Word, can we? You know, uh, years ago, uh, you all know the Valvoline up in Morristown as you go into Morristown there on the right where there used to be a Long John Silvers that sat there. Did you know that? Some of you long-timers will know it. I refuse to go to that Valvoline. I'll tell you why. Because they tore down the most important structure in Morristown being that Long John Silvers. They, they, and I, I, will not, I will not get my oil changed there. I can't tell you how important that place was for me because I went there when I was a child. And there was a black man that used to manage it. And he, I tell you what, when he managed it, it was done right. And I, I used to, I just loved it. You know, I was heartbroken when they tore it down. We, uh, we went there one time when we were little, and I guess maybe I was 10 years old. My brother probably around six or something. You know how little brothers can be so irritating and, uh, you know, deserve what they're going to get from the older brother. You know, well, I, he did something. I don't know what he did, but I, I decided I was going to kick him as hard as I could kick him under the table. Well, if you'll remember those old Long John Silvers, they put a two-inch two uh, uh, board uh, and they, they turned it this way, so it was kind of at an angle. And they ran it all the way across the bottom of the table. I lifted up our entire table with my shin when I tried to kick him. And uh, I still, to this day, I remember those crumblies going all over the table, you know. And... Listen, we, we can kick against this biblical truth that humbles us, that God can do whatever He wants with what belongs to Him, but it's only going to bring us pain and it will not change the truth. I got the blessing going over to Brother Greg Embrys. He helped uh, bring my library up. He said, I want you to stop by. I want you to see something at my house. It's a new house. 
So I get to go in this memorial room. I don't know if anybody else in here has seen his, some of you have seen his memorial room. Uh, you know, he, he built it to memorialize the, the men in his family and Janice's father, I believe, also. Uh, you know, it's, it's got uniforms, their uniforms, awards, all kinds of things, uh, photographs. It's just, it's just amazing. It's in his house, his brand new house. Why could Greg put a memorial room in his brand new house instead of, say, a game room? You know, it's a big room. Uh, why didn't he put a pool table, you know, a pinball machine? Because it's his house, right? It belongs to him. And Janice led him, okay? But, <laughs> but you see the point. God can do whatever He wants with us, with this church, because we're His. And we can kick against that or we can humbly say, God, You're God, You're free, You're, you're good, You're holy, You're righteous, and You're just. You do with us then whatever pleases You if it will bring You praise and glory. Because we belong to You. You say, Greg, why have you spent this whole sermon hammering this humbling truth for our rebuild? Well, I got my reasons. I'll close with them. James 4.10. Would you look there? James chapter 4, verse 10. What does it say? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, before the Lord. And He will lift you up. He will exalt you. And then over at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, starting in the middle of that fifth verse, 1 Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. God can do anything He wishes with me. He can do anything He wishes with you. He can do anything He wishes with this church. And I'm so thankful for that because He's good. And I want to ask Him humbly, I want to ask Him to bless it, to strengthen it, to supply it, to grow it, Will you join me in asking that? If you'd like to come down here where we can just gather up close and pray again, I'd, I'd sure be encouraged by it.